Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 26th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, guys, so we have a D23-centric episode coming to you soon. That's not what we're going to talk about today, but Peter's going to be back soon, and he's going to tell us all about all of the stuff that he saw at D23. Uh, if you want to, right now, you can go to SlashFilm.com and check out all of our D23 coverage. I'll link to a comprehensive piece uh, in the show notes of this episode that breaks down all of the, I think it's something like 45 articles that we wrote uh, on the site about D23 stuff. So if you want to know all about that, you can you know go there right now and uh, click around until your heart's content. In the meantime, guys, let's talk about the news. Brad, we've been talking a lot about the Disney, Sony, Marvel, Spider-Man scenario. Um, we, we had, uh, over the weekend, Tom Holland and Kevin Feige make some comments about this. Why don't you break down their comments for us? Indeed, uh, the ghost of Spider-Man from the Marvel Cinematic Universe was all over D23. Basically, anytime anyone mentioned something related to Spider-Man, everyone was like, ooh, this is sad. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, of course, since Tom Holland was at D23 uh, for the Pixar movie Onward, he inevitably got asked uh, by some press about the current debacle with the rights for Spider-Man. Uh, reverting back to Sony and no longer sharing them with Marvel Studios. And uh, Tom Holland definitely seems like he's been trained for this very moment because he gave a very diplomatic response saying, quote, basically, we've made five great movies. It's been an amazing five years. I've had the time of my life. Who knows what the future holds? But all I know is that I'm going to continue playing Spider-Man and having the time of my life. It's going to be so fun. However, we choose to do it. The future of Spider-Man will be different, but it'll be equally as awesome and amazing. And we'll find new ways to make it even cooler. So uh, Holland's obviously not uh, weighing in on what he necessarily wants from the deal, uh, not bashing Sony or uh, Marvel since they've both done very good things for him. And uh, there doesn't really seem to be any hope uh, in his uh, remarks either that maybe a deal could still be worked out, which uh, has indicated to many that it seems like maybe there isn't uh, any 
chance of a deal being struck between uh, Marvel and Sony anymore, even though there's been talk of them potentially uh, striking something new. And Kevin Feige, uh, who was also on hand at D23 to present uh, more from the upcoming Marvel slate, seemed to give uh, roughly the same kind of answer. Uh, Kevin Feige said, quote, I'm feeling about Spider-Man, gratitude and joy. We got to make five films within the MCU with Spider-Man, two standalone films, and three with the Avengers. It was a dream that I never thought would happen. It was never meant to last forever. We knew there was a finite amount of time that we'd be able to do this, and we told a story we wanted to tell, and I'll always be thankful for that. So Feige himself seems to also be resigned to the fact that there's no new deal brewing between Sony uh, and Marvel, and... Uh, at the end of the day, you know, what he says does, I guess, yeah, is a little bit of a kind of a sobering look at it because we do have to accept and also be grateful for that we did get to see something on the scale of Infinity War and Endgame with Spider-Man involved. You know, there there was a, a version of this all happening without Spider-Man at all, and it's kind of hard to imagine uh, the emotional weight of some of this stuff working quite as well without Spider-Man, uh, specifically the relationship between Spider-Man and Tony Stark uh, was something that really pulled at uh, fans' heartstrings. And it's, uh, if anything, you know, we should be happy that we got to see that, even if it is uh, a little disappointing that it doesn't sound like we'll get to see anything like that again with this version of Spider-Man. Jacob, do you think that there's any chance that Sony and Disney work something out here? Uh, as long as Rothman, Tom Rothman is running Sony, I don't think so. And, I'll, and I'm not saying it just because Duncan and Rothman's what everybody does, because he kind of deserves it, if you look at his track record as an exec, uh, but because he's famously stubborn. And I think he, based on all the reporting, I think The Hollywood Reporter had an article about how other Sony execs had to explain to Rothman that superhero movies weren't going away and that he should embrace them. Uh, so I don't think Rothman understands that, that this is what fans want. He does not understand the appeal of the shared universe. I don't think he, I don't think he flat out understands that in any way whatsoever. So as long as he's running things at Sony, I can't see it happening. Yeah. Well, there's a couple more brief Spider-Man related updates. One thing is that Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who are the two of the writers who wrote Spider-Man Far From Home, are coming back to write the next Spider-Man film for Sony. We don't know what the title of that is yet. Um, and there was some talk that John Watts who directed Spider-Man Far From Home, which, by the way, is Sony's highest grossing movie ever, uh, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about if you look at the early career of John Watts, who's a guy who came up through independent film. Um, I think he broke onto a lot of people's radar with this really small Kevin Bacon movie called Cop Car. But, Jacob, I know you've saw you've seen one of his earlier movies. It's called Clown. Tell us about that movie, because I, I feel like a lot of people would not associate uh, or would not believe that the director of Spider-Man Far From Home made a movie with a premise as wild as that one. Yeah, I'm going to recommend Clown wholeheartedly if you have a strong stomach and like crazy horror movies. Uh, Clown was made as a fake trailer that got the attention of Eli Roth, uh, who ended up funding it. And it became Watts' first feature film, even though he had written Cop Car first. And Clown is about a man who puts on a uh, old anti-clown costume after the, the clown does not show up to his kid's birthday party. And it turns out that the clown costume is actually the skin of a demon and that all the evil clowns of history are the result of this um, uh, parasitic outfit that slowly transforms the wearer into a child-eating monster. So it's the ultimate killer clown movie. And the clown itself is actually scarier than Pennywise. Not as good as it, but uh, as a scrappy extremely violent and gnarly 
movie. And, I had, and if you had watched this and had watched Spider-Man, you have no idea it was the same guy. So I guess to go back to you here, Ben, he has range. John Watts is not just Spider-Man. He can make all kinds of different movies. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, and it leads well into this next item, which is that Marvel Studios is apparently courting John Watts. And we don't know exactly what they're there they want him for but it seems like he is sort of like a fly caught in the spider's web between these two studios so obviously sony probably wants to to continue working with the guy who made their highest grossing movie ever but marvel studios is the company that sort of made the decision to bring watts on in the first place and and kevin feige has been has proven to be masterful at making decisions like that and so you can see easily why those people would want to continue their relationship with watts as well so we don't know exactly what marvel wants for for the future of john watts and you know looking at their upcoming slate it's kind of unclear what he might even be possibly, you know, being eyed for here. I don't think Mahershala Ali's Blade is necessarily like a great fit for John Watts as a director. Um, we know that uh, at D23 we had some announcements about who was going to be coming on to direct uh, WandaVision, and that is Matt Shackman, who is a director of uh, TV shows like Game of Thrones and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. As far as I know, Hawkeye does not have a director yet, so maybe they're looking at John Watts to direct, you know, six episodes of Hawkeye or something. That seems like a weird, a weird kind of thing. But do you, either of you have any thoughts about? Watts and as a filmmaker and like what you guys if you want to see him continue on making movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe even though they aren't Spider-Man properties I think the tone he brings to Spider-Man movies would be great for a Fantastic Four movie if he was up for it I mean uh you know if he can have a steady career with Marvel go for it if he wants to work with Sony again to stick with Spider-Man you know that's I don't know I'm um, for me it's a case where I want John Watts to work with the people who give him the most freedom and right now, at Strange, he looks like Marvel compared to Rothman Sony. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and briefly, uh, Deadline also mentioned uh, sort of an update on the financial end. So if you've been tracking the story, you know, originally it was reported that Disney requested a 50-50 co-financing deal with Sony. But now Deadline says, I continue to hear that Disney asked for a 25% stake where it would finance that much of the movie and receive that much of the equity upside. This arrangement would have only been for any pictures that involved Marvel and Kevin Feige. Still, it was a big ask of Sony, which had been getting a, a relative bargain at 5% of the first got dollar gross so that was their current deal uh that 25 percent offer sat for half a year and finally the conversation was that the 50 percent co-financing stake uh it came up and then disney called the whole thing off because sony was basically just radio silent for a long time so i was reading in the um the ankler which is richard rushfield's uh industry newsletter that uh the talks when when this whole thing sort of went south and sony sort of tried to spin it as like oh yeah these talks are ongoing Rushfield was saying, according to his sources, that completely caught Disney by surprise. Like, they had no idea that these talks were ongoing. So that was just Sony's way of trying to uh, maybe try to to get back into negotiating there. So, uh, yeah, still a lot to uh, to digest here and, and figure out, you know, what the, the actual future of this is going to be. But uh, in the meantime, let's move on to Disney+. Plus. So, Jacob, during D23, there was a whole Disney Plus panel. And some of those details are maybe, like, a little bit more um, technical than what I want us to talk about in our like full comprehensive D23 episode. So let's get into that right now. What can people expect when Disney Plus debuts this November? Yeah, a friend of Slash Film and occasional contributor Eric Vespi was actually on the show floor at D23 and he put together a really good Twitter thread after a conversation with a Disney Plus rep. And 
it turns out that uh, Disney Plus will include 4K and Dolby Atmos sound and high dynamic range HDR as part of the base price package, which is uh, uh, $6.99, I believe. Yeah, $6.99 per month or $70 for the year. Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, Netflix charges $16 a month for their 4K package. So this is Disney. Not o- Disney not only has put together a catalog that's going to make a good case for it for itself, but it's also saying, hey, we're less than half of the Netflix 4K package in terms of cost, and you get all that you know, high-quality stuff for free. And as more and more people upgrade to 4K TVs and get better sound systems, this is going to become more noticeable. I mean... Uh, Streaming is, you know, taking over, and as we all know, and it's got to the point where when you fire up a stream and it looks like a crappy DVD, it's it's, it's offensive to the eye. So the fact that uh, Disney is saying, "Hey, pay our low price and get the highest quality uh, video for the TV you spent all this money on," it looks very attractive. Uh, ben and Brad, uh, does this? I want to know what you guys think about 4K uh, being uh, 4K streaming, 4K Netflix, and this price cost is something that, that uh, Disney can keep up. Uh, what's going to happen here? Brad, what do you think? I want, I want to hear from you first. I mean, it's definitely something that sweetens the deal uh, for anybody who doesn't want to pay extra. And, you know, a lot of these movies that Disney is going to have available for their service are going to be the kind of things that you want to see in the highest resolution possible. Uh, you know, Marvel movies are going to look great in 4K. Pixar's movies are going to look fantastic as well. Really, anything animated is going to look great in the highest definition. Uh, Dolby Atmos sound, you know, as more people have more sophisticated sound systems in their home, they, you know, want their the content provided to them to give them the ability to have the best sound possible. And the fact that they're not charging more for it, you know, again, that's that's I think that's going to be huge. Uh, and it's going to be something that really sets Disney Plus apart from the rest of the streaming services out there. Yeah, this seems like a massive flex on their part because they're, you know, the, first of all, coming out with six ninety nine as a monthly price is like a huge fu to everybody else because they're they're undercutting, you know, even the lowest uh, prices out there. And then to offer this stuff for free on top of that is, um, yeah, just a massive flex on their part. And yeah, I'm one of those people, Jacob, who who pays $16 a month for 4K Netflix right now. So I especially am, am going to appreciate this when uh, I inevitably end up subscribing to Disney Plus. But um, speaking of Disney Plus, there's one more piece of information that we found out uh, during D23 that I thought would be worth sharing with listeners. And that is that uh, the streaming platform is planning to release weekly episodes instead of using the binge model of dropping a full season all at once. So we had been really like trying to figure out what the release pattern, the release schedule for Disney plus shows was going to be. And now we found out that they're going to be doing it sort of a, uh, yeah, week to week. And I, I mean, personally, I prefer that not only for selfish reasons, like where it gives me more time to catch up with shows, but also for like the cultural context surrounding a show. Like I feel like the week to week method allows us to appreciate episodes on an individual level and be able to talk about a show over a period of months instead of you know uh scarfing the whole thing up in a weekend and trying to like beat everybody else to it so you're not spoiled and i don't know i just feel like the it is the old the quote-unquote old way of of watching tv but it's a way that i and I know Netflix has like changed the game and sort of rewired everybody into thinking that, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, you know, watching s- stuff uh, in entire seasons at a time instead of just episodes at a time is like the new normal. And it may be, but I don't know. There's something about this that um, 
that, <laughs> that strikes me in a positive light. But uh, I want to hear from you guys. Do you do you prefer the the ability to watch an entire thing at the you know at your fingertips all at once, or or do you find the same value that I do in the week to week conversation? Yeah, I'll join you on the front porch waving my uh, cane at the kids, Ben, because <laughs> uh, when it, when Netflix drops a whole season of TV like once every week, here's a new season you want to watch. It's very easy to fall off a show. It's very easy if you don't binge it that weekend, it vanishes down your timeline and it's just gone. Whereas a show like The Mandalorian or any of the Marvel stuff coming up, they're being positioned as events, and this not only keeps them in the conversation. It's good for people writing about it every single week instead of once and then forgetting about it. It's just going to be a case where, oh, I have an episode of The Mandalorian to watch this week. And you watch it, and you get excited, and maybe you have people over to watch it every week. I mean, as somebody who watched every episode of Game of Thrones with the same group of people that slowly grew over the course of a decade, I treasure those nights of the anticipation of, oh, Game of Thrones coming back. Let's talk about it between episodes. Let's have dinner beforehand. Let's have drinks after. Uh, it, to me, that is the TV experience. It, it is the experience is not alone binging Glow Season 3, which is what I <laughs> did last week. For me, TV <laughs> is about you know, the space between episodes. That's when TV really lingers and when it really impacts you. So if Disney Plus stuff is good, and I, fingers crossed, I hope it will be, because Marvel and Star Wars is very much my jam, I want it to be an event that I treasure every week as opposed to something I binge once, you know, feel sick over and then never think about for another year. Brad, are you joining us on the porch here, this metaphorical porch, or do you have uh, an alternate view here? No, for the most part, I am, simply because uh, I, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, and that I kind of miss the days when uh, a lot of people used to talk about Lost every single week. And, you know, as soon as an episode was over, there was endless theorizing and talking about it on the web. And while I don't think there's any shows necessarily that will warrant that same amount of uh, discussion or discourse online, I do like the idea of anticipation every week and kind of coming back to it and giving people more time to process it. And if anything, it gives us more you know, time to be able to uh, write about it, you know, for the site without feeling rushed to get as much out there as we can and cover all the bases because people are so anxious to talk about it immediately. Um, the, I, I will say there is a small part of me that uh, laments that it won't be bingeable only because there are times when, you know, I would like to sit and watch maybe maybe two or three episodes back to back. I rarely sit down and watch, you know, an entire season in one sitting. Um, so... It, I, I do feel a little bit disappointed in that regard, but I think I, the appeal of going back to like, the anticipation of a new episode each week is a little bit more enticing. Yeah, I think for me, like the idea of watching dramas week to week or, or like action series or whatever we're going to call these Star Wars and Marvel stuff, any like big epic genre type stuff, week to week is the way that I prefer that. But I think for comedies, maybe I prefer the binge model because my wife and I have been going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine and just watching like one or two episodes a night. And I love having that whole catalog of, you know, six seasons of the show available to, to watch at my own pace right now. Um, so I don't know. I, I wonder if this is going to be something that Disney Plus just sort of starts with and then they evolve their, their methods as they go along or if this is going to be something that they sort of like hold on to for the long haul. So uh, we'll have to track that and see how that moves along. But um, let's talk a little bit about James Gunn's new movie, The Suicide Squad. So, Brad, over the weekend, we actually had two pieces of casting news for this film. And it seems like uh, people that James Gunn has worked with before are joining this film. So who who has been uh, recruited into the Suicide Squad? Yes, James Gunn is uh, very well known for bringing some of his uh, buddies from movies past with him to his new movies. And 
a couple of them from uh, one from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and another one from uh, his past in general is coming to the Suicide Squad. Uh, the first one is uh, Steve Agee, who is uh, best known for starring in TV shows like the Sarah Silverman Program, and has made a bunch of different appearances uh, in TV shows over the years. Uh, he played the character Jeff in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And he'll be going to the Suicide Squad uh, in a voice role, providing the voice of King Shark, uh, who is a villain from the DC Comics universe, uh, a humanoid with uh, the hulking body of a man and the the head of a shark. Uh, so that'll be interesting, uh, having a comedian like Steve Agee voicing that particular character. Uh, we're not necessarily sure how King Shark is going to be used. Uh, but this does seem like a departure from what we had previously heard, which was rumors that Michael Rooker was going to be playing King Shark. But that's something that he actually debunked uh, not long after the report surfaced online. Uh, and since Steve A.G. is doing the voice of King Shark, that likely means somebody else is doing the physical part. And I seriously doubt that that will, would be Michael Rooker because that would be just a real waste of Michael Rooker. You know, you don't <laughs> take Michael Rooker and not use that awesome voice of his. Mm -hmm. So if Michael Rooker is going to be in the Suicide Squad, I'd be willing to bet he has a different role uh, than King Shark, because he is another one of James Gunn's uh, favorites to bring around. Do we know if and Sean Gunn is going to be in uh, in the Suicide Squad? Because he does the the motion capture like body work for Rocket Raccoon on the set of the Guardians movies, right? As far as I know, there hasn't been any mention of that, but I wouldn't be surprising if he did end up doing something like that, since he is uh, very skilled at it, and he is uh, James Gunn's brother. He's uh, constantly asked about, you know, the status of the script and that kind of thing, and he seems to be in the know with those kinds of things, but there hasn't been any talk or confirmation of him doing any sort of uh, role like that in the Suicide Squad yet, So, but it's... I would say that it's uh, a safe bet that he'll have some kind of role in it. Yeah, Sean Gunn body and a, uh, a Steve Agee voice would make a hell of a King Shark, I think. But who else is in this yeah. movie? Uh, so uh, James Gunn's also bringing Nathan Fillion uh, back under his wings. Uh, Nathan Fillion previously had a role in uh, Super as the Holy Avenger, and he also starred in James Gunn's horror comedy Slither. And uh, there was even a cameo that was he was meant to make in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but it ended up on the cutting room floor. But now he's uh, brought Nathan Fillion into the Suicide Squad. But unfortunately, we have no idea who he's going to be playing. Um, there's quite a big roster of characters from uh, Suicide Squad comics that he could be playing. He could also easily be playing a small role that doesn't really have any big significance because he... Uh, did play an alien who was one of the prisoners in the kiln in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, provided the voice for it. So that could be something that happens here in the Suicide Squad as well. Uh, it's, as of now, it's unclear, but having Ethan Fillion do another movie with James Gunn is always good news for uh, Firefly fans and uh, James Gunn fans. Yeah, so he's sort of like the John Ratzenberger of Pixar, but for James Gunn, right? Like a, Sort of like a good luck charm kind of thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our final news story of the day, and that is that, uh, Jacob, we've learned some news about the Breaking Bad movie. So this is something that we learned about, I think, late last year, and it's been a lot of radio silence on this project so far, but now all of a sudden we've got sort of like a flurry of Breaking Bad movie news. What do we know now? Uh, yeah, last week uh, Bob Odenkirk, the star of Better Call Saul and also appeared in Breaking Bad, just casually said that the Breaking Bad movie's been shot, it's been finished, and this weekend was con they confirmed it, because 
Netflix accidentally uploaded a preview page for El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, along with the synopsis, which uh, caused a chain reaction of Netflix trying to cover its tracks, what the internet remembers, which led to New York Times publishing a uh, piece that was supposed to go up on Monday, announcing that it was uh, coming on October 11th. So Netflix then dropped a, a little teaser online, and such a big grand Monday reveal via the New York Times was uh, forced to rush out on a Saturday afternoon instead during D23. Uh, but it's still a Breaking Bad movie, so people are very interested. And pretty much, as we previously assumed, it takes place right after the series ended. And I'm going to go into Breaking Bad spoilers here. If you have not seen the show, feel free to turn it off. Hey, guys, just really quickly wanted to give you just one more second. If you have not seen the end of Breaking Bad, turn this episode off right now. We are about to spoil it right now. But after Walter White uh, dies in the final episode... Jesse Pinkman was last seen driving away from imprisonment, uh, finally free, but, you know, doomed and haunted and damaged. And El Camino, the title of the movie, refers to the fact that he's driving away in a Chevrolet El Camino. And there were uh, two synopses, one uh, via the New York Times and one via Netflix. I'll go read them both real quick. Uh, Fugitive Jesse Pinkman runs from his captors, the law and his past. That is from Netflix. And in New York Times... In the wake of his dramatic escape from captivity, Jesse must come to terms with his past in order to forge some kind of future. So, the teaser featured Skinny Pete, one of uh, Jesse's uh, meth-head friends, telling the cops that he's never going to help them find Jesse. So clearly the cops are on the hunt for Jesse Pinkman, either to figure out uh, what was going on in that Nazi prison camp where he was being held, or to capture him for other reasons. He's been involved in enough murders and crimes over the years that, you know, clearly something is going down. So it sounds like we're getting a you know, a haunted Jesse Pinkman driving El Camino through Mexico, trying to escape, you know, the shadow of everything that happened to him throughout the series. Ben, does this sound as good to you as it does to me? Because I'm pretty excited about this. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I have not rewatched Breaking Bad since it, you know, it aired originally, um, but I have the whole uh, box set on Blu-ray and this makes me want to just like drop everything and rewatch the entire series in the lead up to this. And I don't know if I have enough time to do that because you said this this movie comes out on October 11th. Um, so that's not that much time to binge. What is it? Seven seasons worth of stuff or whatever. But um, man, I, I love Breaking Bad so much. This the character of Jesse is just like one of the most sort of heartbreaking uh tv protagonist that i can think of like the the stuff that he endures in that show is just um it's almost too much and to see aaron paul who is a performer who is really good but hasn't really found um a role that has that fits him as well as jesse pinkman does to see him return to this character and with vince gilligan who created breaking bad you know running the the movie writing and directing the movie um it seems like all the pieces are in place here for this to be, you know, just something really, really special. Um, Brad, what's your relationship with Breaking Bad, and are you excited about this, too? Um, here's where I shamefully say that I have not finished Breaking Bad. At one time, I watched the first season and then uh, stopped, not because I didn't like it, but just because I got caught up with other things and then kind of just fell behind the hype train more and more uh, and never really caught up with it. Um, I'm, I'm not really worried about spoilers because... Uh, you know, they came around and I knew it was inevitable and I feel like the, really the journey for the show is probably going to be good no matter what anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's one of those things where I, I would love to take the time to watch it, but, you know, peak TV makes it harder and harder to catch up on old shows, let alone new shows. Um, and yeah, so I have not, have not finished the Breaking Bad. 
All right. Well, let me let's wrap this up uh, by me posing one more question to Jacob, and that is the title of this thing: El Camino: colon, A Breaking Bad Movie. Do you think that the use of a Breaking Bad movie instead of the Breaking Bad movie means anything? Do you think there's a possibility that we get more Breaking Bad movies set in this universe that follow different characters or, or different storylines? I wouldn't be surprised that it happens, but to me this is more of a Rogue One situation where somebody at a financial level said, you got to have Breaking Bad in the title. Kind of like how Rogue One, you got to have Star Wars in the title. So I bet that Vince Gilligan's script said El Camino, and somebody with, with the deep pockets said put a colon in Breaking Bad somewhere in there. So I don't know if this is an indication of more coming or it's an indication of it needing to catch the eye of people who, who see the word El Camino and don't immediately realize what that means. Yeah. But, but uh, who knows? I will, we'll see if there are more stories to tell. I'm at the point now where Vince Gilligan thinks it's worth telling. I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Uh, all right, well, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online before we completely wrap up. Brad, let's start with you. Always on SlashFilm.com, also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Jacob? I'm on SlashFilm.com and on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. I am also at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all the, the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. The podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Please make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word about the show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.